When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Good morning as to always. everyone. Yeah, yeah. Good, good morning. morning to everyone. Yeah, I mean, that's the least we can do, isn't it? Wish each other so. a good morning. Yes. All of uh, you, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of the day it is, or day or night or evening or late afternoon or dawn or dusk. There's so many ways to describe different parts of the day, aren't there? There are, especially when you're sort of filling time, avoiding the inevitable. <laughs> you can find an endless list. Absolutely, um, absolutely. But no, good morning or good day or good evening to you all. And there ends the positivity on this podcast. <laughs> I think it's going to be a fairly intense one, in fairness, uh, given what we saw yesterday. We're going to have to dig deep into this one and uh, try and understand what happened and why it happened and everything else. So, you know, it's not going to be a... A, uh, a laugh a minute romp through the world of Arsenal as it sometimes is and those are obviously very enjoyable but we can only work with what we're given that's that's the uh, restriction that we operate under we only work with what uh, we can work with what happens mm. on the pitch and what happens off the pitch etc etc you know we're here to comment and analyze and discuss it and hopefully make some sense of it all and yeah well look that's what it is I mean, maybe we could, you know, follow the the lead of our idols. And in the first part, you know, we can kind of be kind of average, you know, not not terrible at doing this podcast. But then maybe <laughs> one of us, probably me, does something absolutely stupid at some point in that first half. Uh, I don't know. I just pour my coffee all over my laptop in, inexplicably. <laughs> and instead of trying to mop up the coffee i just start protesting to people <laughs> to say like did you see that coffee it spilt itself fucking then, coffee yeah and then in the second part we could just give up yeah. you know <laughs> we just sit here and just go oh, we could we could look at the questions yeah. but i'm not sure i can be bothered yeah i don't know uh, i don't think i can move that fast like i can't <laughs> can't turn my head to the right to look over here at my twitter just to yeah. see the questions it's a lot of clicking it's a lot of clicking well ultimately it's down to the coffee why did that coffee spill itself all over your laptop in the first place exactly yeah exactly and you know you're you're asking me to do this podcast but i don't even know if you're going to be here in a few months time so why am i listening to you <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, look, there's always um there's always some kind of bright side to everything. Yeah. Um yeah, even if it is uh, what's uh, gallows humor, I think you might call it, but look, we've yeah. got no choice. We've got no choice. Look, let's do it then. Let's delve into what was ultimately a very disappointing day. 
Uh, and I think for me, the disappointment doesn't necessarily come from losing because going into it, I you know, you look at Manchester City, you look at the fact they're 27 points ahead of us in the Premier League table. It's clear that there is a gulf between the sides in terms of quality. Mm. So losing in and of itself is, you know, is not that surprising. But I think it was the manner of defeat that really bothered me, that the the players never seemed to have any belief whatsoever that they could get something from this game. Um, and didn't they didn't play like it. They never, there was never any aggression. There was never any, any real effort to change the dynamic of the game, which was uh, apparent from the opening couple of minutes. City got on top. They got the ball. I know we had that moment up the, up the other end where we had a chance with Aubameyang. We'll come to that in a moment. But generally speaking, the pattern of the game was established really early on. They were going to have lots of the ball. They were going to have lots of the ball in our half, and we were going to let them. Yes, that that was established pretty early on, and we did seem pretty powerless to reverse it. I think you're right. I think the reason it was such a disappointing day is the the nature of the defeat, not the fact of the defeat. Both in terms of how poor our own performance was, the fact that we didn't really show anything. Um, I know that might sound abstract, but you couldn't come away from that Arsenal performance with any adjective to describe it apart from limp. There was no character to it. And I don't just mean that in terms of the sort of cliche of, you know, showing character, showing grit. I mean, there was no defining characteristic other than its limpness. Mm. Uh, it, it had very little personality to it. And I think the, the other factor is just the size of the gulf. You know, we know that City are a lot better than the rest of the teams in England this season, but just I think the size of the gulf between them and us, um, seeing that laid bare was quite a, a painful experience and a reminder of how much work there is to do if we are to, you know, to return to our mm. former powers. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I can't help but think about the cup final in May, the FA Cup final, where we went into it against Chelsea. Now, I don't think Chelsea are as good a side as Manchester City. I don't think the gap between them and us was quite as big as the the gap between us and City at this moment in time, but they were still real favourites on the day. Mm-hmm. And of course, the defensive issues that we had going into the game, the you know, the back three, Mertesacker holding and, and Monreal, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we, we know all the issues that went into it, but the, the way we approached that game and the way we started that game helped bring about that kind of performance where there was some aggression. We got on the front foot, we tried to play, we closed them down, we made it hard for them, we kept the ball, we played football. And the result of that was we played very well and won the cup. Mm. To see us go so far the other way in the space of nine months, for for Arsene Wenger not to be able to at least, you know, I I don't know if it was the instruction. Maybe, you know, the instructions were very different for yesterday's game where it was a case of sit back, let them have the ball, try and deny them the the avenues that, that they try and create to make danger. Maybe that was the instruction. There were two very different instructions, but... You know, to to be completely unable to change it in any way was just so disappointing. And um, I don't know if you saw this, but in classic style, there was a an article on the official website the day before the game. Did you see it? Oh, I I don't think I did. Go on, hit me with it. <laughs> okay, the article <laughs> the article was uh, Mustafi, how we can beat Man City at Wembley. Oh, um. And what he says was, we have to make sure we're compact, organized, and concentrated for 90 minutes. 
We have to play our own game, and when we get the ball, play as quickly as we can to find opportunity to break them down. He talks a good game, doesn't he? He talks a good game there, Mustafi. Mm. It's a shame he couldn't follow that up on the pitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is quite startling, the the difference in performance between the two finals. And I know that you know City are receiving praise that Chelsea never really did, but it's easy to forget that Chelsea were a much better side last season than they are this. Uh, they were the champions you know they 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 looked formidable mm. uh, and we were ravaged by injury particularly in defense and you know pulled off something quite special really it's an yeah. extraordinary day i mean of, of of the three finals we've had i mean that was the most complete performance um certainly better than the the, the whole one and we, we were just not close to that yesterday and goals do change games and you're right to allude to the early chance we had to take the lead but the problem with this Arsenal team is that when they do fall behind or when things do go against them they they don't seem to have the capacity to respond and they you know unfortunately have a tendency to shoot themselves in the foot so mm. they find themselves in that position all too often the the first goal then, Mustafi, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what on earth any of them were thinking for that. The positioning was was absolutely brutal. You wouldn't see yeah. it at, at Parks level. Um, I think Gary Neville used the word pathetic to describe it, and I think that's accurate. I think that's a good way of describing that first goal. You know, in a game like this against a team like City, the very least you should be doing is doing the basics, and that was not the basics by any standards. No, I mean, this is sort of a recurring theme with Arsenal at present because this this came from a restart, it came from a goal kick. And yes, Mustafi, I think, had been forward uh, at a set piece. To be honest, this goal came directly from a dreadful set piece delivery, which was one of the themes of our first half performance. This was a floaty yeah. free kick that just drifted straight out of play. And I can't believe I'm saying these words, but credit to Claudio Bravo. He got the ball and took the quick relatively quickly. But Arsenal just were in no way set. And I feel like that's so symptomatic of our problems at the moment, that every time the ball goes dead, we are dead. Yeah, you know, We talk a lot about us being bad off the ball, but we're also terrible out of play. Whenever it's a dead ball, whenever it's a set piece, we seem prone to switching off. And as Bravo lines up to take this kick, Mustafi is five yards the wrong side of Aguero. And, you know, I can understand the focus being on him, but Chambers and Koscielny, I don't think, cover themselves in glory, given that this is a one-man attack. He is the sole striker, and they are, I don't know, about 15 yards away from Mustafi, not in a position to cover him if he doesn't win that header. Mm. They weren't to know he would make such a mess of it, but equally, they're not covering round appropriately. As for Mustafi, I, I just... I mean, I don't know what to say about what he was even attempting. There's the positioning to start, then there's the the feeble challenge and then there's his response to the challenge which is to turn away from the play towards the referee mm. i mean it, uh, it was suicidal defending yeah I, I you know i don't know that there's any great analysis required of it is there we don't need to look for the meaning behind it we just can see what it was and it was absolutely appalling it was brutal um just terrible we can think of all the words for bad we can think of right here, but that's all it was. It was just terrible, terrible, terrible defending. Um, and he was looking for the referee to bail him out because he he was, I mean, he must have known um, that, he, that he got it so wrong. But 
yeah, look, there's no excusing it at this level, at any level, really, to to get caught out like that. But in a final, you know, and you you really need to keep it tight. And you know against a team like Manchester City, if you give a striker like Aguero that kind of a chance, mm. then he's going to punish you. 199 goals for Manchester City he's got now. And, you know, he's one of the top strikers in the Premier League, one of the top strikers in Europe. And if you make it easy for him, he will hurt you. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, it, it really was uh, just... I, I mean, it, uh, to be honest, it leaves me a little bit speechless what Mustafi was doing. Like, yeah. In a final, to see such a careless piece of defending... I would say it's shocking, but um, I've become a little bit inured to shock watching mm. this team. So there you go. Um, but that goal then came after we'd had a chance. I thought that was it was a really interesting piece of play that created that chance. Um, what did you make of the the deployment of Wilshire on the left-ish mm. uh, behind Aubameyang and, and with Ozil? Um, I, I wasn't quite sure what the thinking was behind that. Well, it surprised me. I thought when I saw the lineups that Wilshire was going to be deeper, maybe with Aaron Ramsey uh, further up the field, you know, breaking forward, getting into the box. But as it was, it was Wilshire who was playing in more advanced areas. And I don't know. I mean, I, I thought he, I thought Jack did okay. I thought both mm. Jack and Ramsey did okay in the first half. Um, I don't know. What was your issue with it? Did you just feel that it was... I just didn't feel like physically he's he's really capable of playing in that position, particularly when he's up against somebody like Kyle Walker. He's not like necessarily one-on-one with him all the time, but Walker, his, his great strength is being able to run a lot really fast. Not so much what he can do with the ball, but his physicality, his, his athleticism. And Jack isn't really known for that. That's why I thought it was quite interesting, that, that piece of play, because Wilshire picked it up out there from I think an Ospe- a long Ospina pass. Yeah, it was a, it was one of uh, probably our best pass of the yeah, day. Yeah, absolutely, and brilliant drove towards goal. Ramsey played it to Ozil, and Ozil across to Aubameyang, and it was Walker I think who got a, a challenge on Aubameyang, and he couldn't quite uh, correct himself to to put it in. Um, I mean, would that goal have counted? I was looking at it, and I was I was looking at the the position of Aubameyang. Um, when Ozil played the ball, and I think he probably was just offside. So we can bemoan that, but would he have been played offside using VAR? Maybe. I mean, yeah, they did have the access to the technology. I haven't actually watched that back. It's too painful. <laughs> but uh, I, I take your word for it. And if he was just off, we probably would have seen that goal ruled out. I can't see a reason they wouldn't go to it because it was very close. I mean, I saw it, you know in the replays during the game and it was sort of too close to call but maybe with the you know with a bit more deliberation they would have ruled it out nevertheless you know you'd like to see that ending up in the net wouldn't Mm, you from that from that situation Um, as for Wilshire I I take your point on on the Walker thing but I guess he's always going to look to drive infield rather than outside which sort of took him away from Walker and more in against the centre-backs where I thought he could do some damage with his footwork and it looked like it might go that way. You know, this was an instance that he actually did pretty well. But I think as the game wore on, uh, as tends to happen with Jack with his physical issues, he he faded. Mm, yeah, he did. He did. But then I think that's true true of everybody. And at least the one thing you might say about Wilshire is that he, he at least uh, looked like he cared for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether there's any comfort to be gained from that. I don't. I quite enjoyed his little uh, coming together with Aguero and Gabriel Jesus towards the end. Um, 
but maybe that's just looking for any small comfort from a game when everything else has been so bad that you're willing to say, okay, well, look, it wasn't a great performance with the ball, uh, but at least there was some pride in the shirt or the club or whatever it was that he wasn't just going to meekly sit down and... uh, and let it pass him by. Um, but I do think that is really kind of clutching at straws for anything to be positive about from yesterday. But, you know, 1-0 at halftime. And, you know, it's not over by any means. A goal can change a game very quickly, as we've said. But Mustafi again was involved with the second goal. He gave away a stupid free kick on the edge of the box. It was an obvious push. It was one of those that he does quite often where he goes through the back of a defender and then again complains as if he's done nothing wrong. Mm. From there, the free kick was deflected. Vincent Company, you know, not a man known for his uh, skill in tight areas, really, uh, did him up like a kipper and won a corner from the corner. They... Uh, they drove the ball to the edge of the box. Gundogan puts it in. Company deflects it into the net. Any issue for you about Leroy Sané being offside? I have to say no, because if you take Leroy Sané out, if you kind of you know teleport him out of that picture, that ball still ends up in the net for me. I, I can't see that it had. A, 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 I can't see that it had any real effect because Espino's made his decision before Sané's in his line of vision, so. I don't really have any complaints at all. Do you? No, I don't think so. I'm just going to watch it here again. And here's the corner. Oh, dear. You know, even that, uh, no, it's not. For me, I'd be be annoyed if that was ruled out for us. I would. And that's my my measure of where decisions are, that if it it had been ruled out for us, I'd be be really annoyed. So, um, yeah, I, I think... I remember being irritated at Mustafi. I mean, to be fair, I was already irritated at Mustafi, but I remember being kind of frustrated at his inability to clear the, clear his lines shortly before that goal. Mm. And as for the goal itself, I mean, Manchester City for the first hour yesterday or whatever it was, certainly in the first half, were not at the level of the hype. You know, I know we talk about this pattern of play being established, but they weren't on another planet they weren't so extraordinary Mm. and the fact that we gave them two such soft goals is so frustrating I mean everyone talks about the brilliant brilliant football they play they scored from two dead balls they scored from a goal kick Mm. and a corner kick and you know that whenever you concede from a set piece you have to be disappointed in your offence you have to look upon that partially as your own error and the fact also that they did that and that they were able to score from those situations is yet another indicator of why they're superior to us because that set piece that they scored looked rehearsed. It looked like something on the training ground. It was something that they had drilled and practised. And for all the talk about them being this brilliant, fluid football team, they also have these stratagems that enable them to solve problems on the pitch or to create situations. Mm. And we just felt, by comparison, like we didn't have those kinds of tactical plans. Yeah, I mean... It's probably something that comes into your thinking when you're playing a team like Arsenal. If Guardiola, as we know, is as precise and as in-depth as uh, people say, and if you've read some of the books, you'll know that he he spends a lot of time thinking about how to play against each team he's going to face. So if you identify Arsenal as weak from set pieces, uh, maybe goal kicks, maybe that was something they've looked at, maybe corner kicks where we switch off, where we don't uh, pay attention to a man like Gundogan on the, uh, on the edge of the box... I mean, it was a really simple ball from De Bruyne to Gundogan. Um, 
that that created the chance for companies. So we just weren't switched on. So it's probably something they they paid attention to. The third goal we were waiting to bring on Danny Welbeck, and all of a sudden it was it was three nil. And at that point it was it was done and dusted. I was really disappointed by the reaction of the players at two nil, though. You know, um, mm. heads went down, players. Just gonna, I won't say they gave up. I don't think they necessarily gave up, but they kind of. Uh, you could see there was a resignation about the way that we played and about the way that we approached certain elements of the game. Uh, Callum Chambers got done exactly the same way as he got done against Ostersunds. Yeah, maybe they saw that on the tape as well. <laughs> well, I mean, could, could that not have been in David Silva's mind when he's, uh, you know, going one on one against Callum Chambers? That if you knock it past him, he's not quick enough to react. You know, I mean, yeah, I, th- I found it interesting that Chambers was rewarded for that uh, performance on Thursday with the start in this game, and he he duly delivered on what he had promised. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I actually thought I don't want to be too hard on him because I thought in the first half he looked better than some of the more experienced defenders out there, but that wasn't a great moment for him, and I think it it showed some of his weakness, didn't it? Mm. So at that point, three nil. Danny Welbeck comes on, Alex Iwobi comes on. Uh, there was a horrible moment. I don't know if you caught it, but a kind of tragic moment where Danny Welbeck's about to come on and they cut to a replay of him and Arsene Wenger watching a City score their third goal. And Arsene Wenger just sort of places a hand on on Danny Welbeck's back as the third ball goes in, as oh, if to no. say, sort of, there, there kind of thing. I mean, it was, yeah, really sad, <laughs> really oh, no. sad moment. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look at that bit. Oh, hey, uh, I think I've found it here. In the Here's the replay of Silva. Good finish across Ospina. Mustafi throws his hands up in the air. Protesting to some to the gods. Yeah. Oh, yeah, come on, yeah. And Aguero, look, if... if oh, my goodness. Aguero's right there on his own following it in. If it had bounced out or come off the post or deflected into his path. Oh, here's the replay. Here's Wenger. Yeah, little pat on the back there for a while. Just back a life. little pat on the back. I don't even know. I mean, imagine, what do you say in a situation like that? You're bringing somebody on, someone who's bereft of confidence mm. themselves. They're 2-0 down. It goes to three. Good luck, you say. <laughs> yeah, best of luck out there. I mean, City didn't turn the screw, which I think we can be thankful about. You know, they realised they've got plenty of football still to play this season in Europe, uh, in the Premier League, of course. Uh, they've got us on on Thursday in the Premier League, and I guess they—I won't say they sat back, but they could have if they'd wanted to played at a higher level or a higher pace or with more effort and endeavour. But they knew the game was won. We knew the game was won, and it was just a question of seeing it out. You know, even in the last ten minutes, they allowed us a bit of territory. They allowed us to have the ball in their half. Because they knew we weren't going to do anything with it, really. There was no danger. There was no uh, threat of us coming back into the game. The final was won, and and that was that. And it was all, I won't say anticlimactic, because maybe expectations weren't high enough for it to be an anticlimax in the end. But it was sad. I found myself obviously sad because you want your team to win a final. Mm. Sad watching what was happening to this team and these players and to the fans who had decided many of them that it wasn't worth sticking around. I think that was sad for me as well. I mean, the whole thing just, I I couldn't get angry about it. You can, if you want, I'm sure some people are really furious about it, but there was just an air of resignation. And you know what? It's come after a strange week, James, where, 
We've lost to Ostersunds in midweek. And before the game, Arsene Wenger said to his team, we've got to be switched on. We can't think this is just going to be a stroll in the park or we'll get a bad surprise. That's what he said before the game. And what we saw in the game was his team do exactly that. They took it for granted. And afterwards, he accused them of a lack of focus and being complacent. And bearing that in mind, given that you're playing a cup final against the the best team in England, you would expect some kind of response from the players, from the team, from players as well who are coming in fresh. And it was kind of more of the same. Yeah. It was more of the same. And as you said, he gave them that warning before Ostersons. They didn't heed it. Whatever the instructions were against Manchester City, it didn't feel like they were executed. And I just feel like heads, you know, heads dropped in a way that can't really be allowed to happen. Mm. You can't just let your head go down like that in a cup final. Maybe at 3-0, maybe at 4-0, not at 2-0. Mm. Not at 2-0. However high the mountain is to climb... You know, when you've got that many fans there in the stadium, when you've reached that moment, that final, that occasion, you can't let your head go down like that. And yet they did and they will continue to do in the same way that those mistakes will continue to happen. Because as we've talked about so many times, it feels like there's just not enough consequence. And it was very sad to watch. It was very sad to see those fans filing out of the stadium because that speaks to their disillusionment and it's a disillusionment that everyone can identify with. And I feel like a few years ago, if you'd seen that many fans leaving a cup final, there would have been huge criticism of those supporters uh, and talk about, you know, this is a disgrace. They've reached the cup final. You've got to stay with them. And I think for the most part, people understand how those fans feel at this stage. And they, you know, I, I for one, have absolutely no axe to grind because I, I get it. I get it. I know. I felt the same. Yeah, it's not just based on the cup final. It's not just based on yesterday. It's, you know, it's the sixth time we've lost in 2018. You know, it's a consequence of not just that final, but where we are as a club and where we're going and how we're performing and how we're playing. And I thought it was very interesting. It's something we've touched on in the past here that uh, Gary Neville spoke about the football that Arsenal play. He used, whatever our weaknesses, we used to be a bit frail. You know, we had this soft underbelly, perhaps we weren't quite as tough as people wanted or or as indeed we, we needed to be at times, but we played good football and we had a footballing philosophy that was easy to admire. Uh, whether, it, whether it was always the right philosophy at times, you, you know, you can argue that point, but we tried to play in a certain way and we've spoken on the podcast a number of times about it being very difficult to know what it is that we're trying to do as a team when we go out on the pitch. And Gary Neville was making that point yesterday on the commentary that there's not much to like about the way we play football anymore. No, I used to watch Arsenal hoping that I would see them play like Arsenal. Now I'm just hoping they play like anybody else. (laughs) Anybody else, because... You know, I feel like in order for us to get results, we we need to look like a different team, and 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 who we are has shifted so dramatically in that time. It, it, yeah, it, it. Arsene Wenger arrived at Arsenal twenty years ago and shattered the idea of, of boring, boring Arsenal. And I feel like we have become boring again. We are, have gone full cycle to to an extent. Mm. Look, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm just sort of at a at a loss to to express the same sentiments over and over again. You know, I think what Wenger has been able to do in recent times is is get a response from his team at key moments in a season. Mm. Um, those times where we had to dig in and overcome a big gap to get into the top four. There were a couple of times when Spurs were a good way ahead of us and we we ground out results, sometimes in a very not Arsenal way. I remember one year we just went so defensive, but we just ground out one nils and two ones and, and we did what we had to do. And we've won cup finals and we've gone to a back three to try and rescue our season. It didn't work in terms of top four last season, but it worked... Uh, for the for the cup final and that was great and it was a great success and I just can't escape the idea that these are players who no longer not that they don't listen but whatever he says just does not get through to them you know talking earlier about don't be complacent against Ostersunds you've got these players who supposedly have a chance to stake a claim for a Carabao Cup final spot at Wembley nobody stepped up Jack Wilshire didn't step up, had probably his worst game of the season and was in the team for the final. Um, it, it is a, it's a situation which is really unhealthy and the longer it goes on, the uglier it's going to get. To lose six times in 2018 already and you look at the teams we've lost to, Nottingham Forest, Swansea, Bournemouth, Ostersunds, Spurs and Man City. Spurs and Man City, okay. But those other four teams... You know there yeah. are there are and huge Spurs problems. Not okay with me. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 no. I don't mean it's okay, but you you can see why based of course, on footballing reasons. Yeah, the foot, yeah. the current state of the two teams. Um, you know, Spurs was a one nil that could have been four or five. Yeah, that um, would put a different complexion. Yeah, it, it definitely would have. But you know, this is a this is a team, and this is a manager that is really really struggling for any kind of form and consistency. Yeah, and and you talk about not knowing what the team does well anymore. And I genuinely think that at times yesterday I found myself scratching my head wondering the same thing about the manager. You know, what are the areas in which he excels? What are the areas in which he is the right man still? Because I feel like, you know, that those areas are diminishing all the time. It's, but, yeah. it's, in, it's increasingly difficult to make that case. But he's not. It? You know, he's not the right man. Yeah. And, you know, I say this with respect for what he's done and for everything that he's uh, given to me as an Arsenal fan and the brilliant teams and the brilliant moments. And that even includes some modern times. Of course, we spoke about the cup finals and I enjoyed those cup finals immensely. They were brilliant and great fun and, and a reminder of what it is to be a football fan and a fan of Arsenal. Um, but you can't, I just can't see how things are going to get better unless we go in a different direction. We can talk about players all we want, this player's shit and that player's shit, and we need to sell him and we need to sell the other. The change that has to be made is is the manager and the coaching staff because it needs something different. The players need something different. We need something different as a club. We need, uh, we need to manage the players that we have better than we are because you can't get rid of a manager and get rid of 15 or 20 players. 
can do a little bit of a reshuffle, but for the most part, you've got to get somebody in who can get more out of these players. Mm. And I think it's obvious that even with very specific public warnings about what he wants or expects from the players, they, they don't do it. Either they can't do it or they won't do it, or they feel in some way that his authority is gone, that he is in such a precarious position when it comes to his future that he doesn't have the requisite authority to to manage them in the way that they should be managed. I think, and I think, to be honest, they are right in most respects about his authority having been eroded, except that he still has the fundamental authority granted to him by the, jo- uh, the, the job, mm. holding the job by the club. But I think, you know, you're right to cite those days at Wembley that we enjoyed the cup final wins, but... And those are special, and I would never, ever take anything away from those. But they they have, to an extent, distracted a little from a relatively steady decline in the league. You know, we've gone from a team competing to a league to a team fighting to stay in the top four, who a team who now look like finishing outside the top four yeah. for a second season in succession. There's no getting away from that. And that league campaign is always the true measure of a side's quality you know you can win the FA Cup in six games but over 38 games mm-hmm. you discover if someone can be consistent and that's fun- fundamentally what we can't be I mean if City if City beat us on Thursday I think we'll be 30 points off top spot and 13 points potentially mm. uh, off the top four No I think you're right you know you make the point about the decline and we were a team that was comfortably from one that, as you said, competed for titles and won titles to one that was comfortably and always in the top four to one then that had to struggle to get into the top four to one that is now outside the top four. And one, I mean, the direction is, is obvious. The direction is is obvious. It is obvious. And there was such a, a period of that silverware drought, nine years where we were so eager for trophies, and understandably so. You know, they're just glorious, glorious occasions. But in the period where we have been winning those domestic cups, our distance from winning the big prizes has undoubtedly increased. It has undoubtedly increased, and the gap is getting wider and wider. And, you know, City might be better than your Liverpools and Uniteds and your Chelsea's, but it feels like they're making a far better attempt to keep pace uh, whereas we're going backwards. Yeah, and people can say City have X amount of money, but look, we, we haven't been short of a few, Bob. We've spent big on players uh, ourselves. We've uh, opened up the purse strings for Arsene Wenger. You can question the quality of the purchases that he's made. He spent big money on some players who just haven't done it and haven't delivered and haven't looked ever like they're going to take the club to the next level. You know, we've we've bought £35 million players who look like the kind of guys we brought in for six or £7 million a couple of years ago. And maybe that's reflective of the market, but look, you can see, and it's a horrible comparison to make, but you can see what a coach like Pochettino is doing at Tottenham in terms of how he's making them play. And maybe he's lucky in the sense that he's got this incredible striker, which um, he probably couldn't have dreamed of when he took that job, um, Mm. the consistency and quality of someone like Harry Kane. But you can see the difference in the way that they play and money is not necessarily the the biggest factor in in where you end up in the table. Um, You know, you can't escape City's riches and everything else, but they also have a brilliant manager in Pep Guardiola. 
They um, do have a brilliant manager. And I have to say that was another thing about yesterday that I found slightly upsetting was seeing Guardiola's team triumph and then Guardiola's post-match press conference. He was so erudite. He was talking about issues beyond football, human rights issues, political issues. And he it was impossible not to look at him and think this is kind of like the manager that Arsene Wenger was a certain time ago. But that shows you that the game moves on and it's a different man's time now. Mm. It's a different man's time. You know, the game is different. So it's absolutely natural that the identity of the man at the top would be different too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's inevitable. We are in the death throes of Arsene Wenger's time at Arsenal. The question is whether it happens before the end of the season or whether it just happens at the end of the season. And maybe the next couple of weeks will will define that. But anything else that you want to talk about in part one before we get on to questions? Because we've got a, we've got a few. Well, just on that, really, I just think that it's easy as fans to feel powerless and despondent. And I think that all we can do, and I, I, I suspect you won't hold out much hope of this, but is we can hope that somebody with power to do something about it seizes that responsibility. You know, the nettle has to be grasped and somebody, whether it's, you know, Raul or, or Ivan or Stan or or Josh or whoever it is, somebody has to take responsibility here mm. because, you know, it, I understand the despondency. I understand the feeling of hopelessness, but this is not an irreversible decline. This is not an irreversible situation. It simply needs leadership and courage from somebody at the club. And and Arsene Wenger's included in that. Mm. You know, he maybe needs the courage to say that it's time. And I just have to hope that somebody, somebody one of those aforementioned names, steps up because we can't change it. We can't change No, it. I mean, I think what we're seeing, the one thing that we could perhaps be encouraged about is that the club is better placed to make the change now than it was... 12 months ago for sure they put in they started to put in place some of those structures but at the same time they've been conspicuously silent haven't they I mean I suppose that's not a bad thing in, in and of itself um, well you know the, the, the vote of confidence kind of stuff is yeah you know it's unpleasant anyway it's but, helpful but mm. I I, uh, I think that 12 months ago there were reasonable excuses to keep Arsene Wenger at the helm I'm not sure those exist anymore. And that is partly a consequence of that work on the backroom team that you mentioned. You know, we are now in a position where a new man could conceivably Mm. come in. And so it has to happen. Right. Well, look, um, we're going to leave it there for part one. We've got lots of questions, so we're going to deal with those and more in part two, which is coming up right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Um, we've got a lot of questions about the future of the club, the direction of the club, the manager, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to get straight into those, uh, James. Uh, Tom Woolsgrove, who's at Desmond underscore Dex, uh, wants to know, are the players not responding to Arsene Wenger because they don't believe in him anymore or because they know he won't be there next season? I don't think they explicitly know he won't be there next season, if I'm honest. I think that there's been this situation for a few seasons now where it's been clear that, you know, he wasn't long for the job, you know, that, that sooner or later he is going to go. And I think that has undermined his authority. I'd be surprised if they explicitly know that he's going to go. But they're not stupid. They must talk about it. They must be able to look at the situation like us and think there's a very, very real chance. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, on that, do you? Uh, here's a question from James Lowe, who's at Lowey133 on Twitter and says, do you think the players would ever go to Gazidis and ask for Wenger to go? Or does the squad lack the ruthlessness and leadership for this to ever ever happen? They also probably all feel like they owe Wenger. It's an interesting question, that, isn't it? Especially when you've got players like Aubameyang committing to the club, Meza Ozil signing a new contract. Mm. It must have come up, surely, in those negotiations. What is the situation with the manager? Yeah. I, I can't think for a second that Meza Ozil is signing that deal without at least having a frank conversation you know, with somebody at the club about, about the plan. But would that be the manager? Or would it be you know, Gazidis and his, his, his contract cronies? I don't know. Um, I don't think it's the job of the players, is it, to go to a chief executive and demand a manager is No, but I, to an extent, are they not doing it on the pitch instead? Well, that's kind of it, isn't it? The, the performances and what you see on the pitch and what you can read from the league table tells you as much as anything else. Any delegation going to the chief executive's office where he's hidden away on the fourth floor of Highbury House... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's a realistic thing at all, but you can read into the performances and you can read into the fact that when he tells them be switched on and they're not, that tells you something about the way they view him and the way that the message or the instructions are going across. It's in one ear and out the other stuff at the moment. Yeah. But, I mean, do you think that there's any chance that the, there's kind of an open secret at the club about Arsenal's future that... Because that would uh, make a degree of sense, I guess, in that they do look like they're playing for a manager who they know isn't going to be there next year. Well, look, I think I think whatever happened this summer, I think it was going to be his last season. That was my theory. And I do wonder if some of the players have shared that theory. Um, you know, we can only speculate as to what goes on in their minds, but... The evidence, evidence such as it is, maybe you can call it circumstantial, is the league table. 27 points behind City, 10 points behind Spurs in uh, who are in fourth. Um, 
the results this year, the last few months, the performances. Uh, last season, he was able to shake them out of this slump that they went through with a move to a back three. What can, what does he do now? What's what's his last resort this time? In January, he went out and he bought Aubameyang and he brought in Mkhitaryan, got rid of Sanchez, got rid of Giroud, got rid of Walcott. Like like any of those with a real problem. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't know what he's got left to try and turn things around. And I think the players must feel that as well. Like you say, they're not stupid. They'll have seen the back three for what it was. A way to do something different, a way to make them think different, to refocus. And to, to some extent, it worked. But it was sticking plaster stuff. Because as soon as results went a bit iffy with the back three, he, he started going back to a back four because that's what he believes in. And the players knew all along he didn't really believe in a back three. So when, you, yeah. when you're out there and your manager, you can sense from your manager that he doesn't believe in the way he wants you to play. How do you, how do you have confidence in that? How do you perform on a consistent basis with that in mind? So I, you know... I mean, it's an accepted truth in football that a manager who is known to be leaving is ineffective. It's what made Alex Ferguson so regret his decision to announce his departure. Mm. It's what made Arsene Wenger's 2016-17 uh, campaign so nightmarish because there was this constant speculation over his head. But the truth is that whether his contract is ending or not, at the moment, every season with Arsene Wenger is one of those seasons. Because he's so vulnerable... Mm. His position has no authority at any time, and I don't think will again. I don't foresee a circumstance now which can change that. I think that, you know, every time we start a campaign with Arsene Wenger, if, if there is another one, there'll be the same question marks and he'll have the same problems. I think we've just reached that point now. Yeah, everything, everything is on the cusp of a crisis mm. all the time. All the time. And, and you can't get back from that. No, really. you can't. You know what it's like? It's like when, you know, when when a player loses the crowd, mm. where the fans stop believing in the player. It doesn't matter what he does on a pitch. The only thing that they'll see is the one mistake he makes in a game. And Absolutely. everything else that he does, just it's not that it's ignored. It just doesn't register. And what we're seeing with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger is that nothing good, and I'm not saying there was a, there's a lot of good this season, but nothing good really registers or makes any any difference. But the minute something bad happens, it just scratches the wounds, reopens the wounds, and, and that's where we are, that we're constantly battling this crisis, this drama. Some of it, of course, is overblown. Some of it, of course, is is exaggerated, but that's the reality of the situation. And I don't know, I don't know how, you know, even winning cups has not brought the people back around because the minute you start losing a game or the minute you lose a few games, people stop believing if they ever started believing again. Yeah, I think we just reached a critical mass, didn't yeah. we, in terms of what the fans thought of the manager and perhaps what the players thought of the manager. And it, there's no turning back, really. It's just a question of when from that point. Mm. But it can do damage in the interim. Yeah. Okay, well, sorry to keep asking the questions, um, no, but I, I've got a, 
I've got a few that sort of follow on from this. Um, boom, boom, boom. This is from Mohammed Audi, who's at Gunnar Audi, and he says, are we better off with a caretaker for the remainder of the season purely for the shock effect it will have, or will things get even worse? I don't know. I mean, Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League, didn't he? Uh, mm. <laughs> maybe our best shot at the Europa League, which I think is the only real way to salvage something from this season at this point. I, I I can't see us getting into the top four at all. No. I don't think that's plausible. Uh, to be honest, I'm not remotely confident of of going into the latest stage of the Europa League. I think, you know, I, you know, it worries me that heads could really go down at this point and that could impinge upon our chances in that competition. Uh yeah, I, I think realistically, if it was if it was a decent manager coming in. I think that probably would provide a shock to the team, you know, much in the same way as the three at the back did last season. Something different, something different, something dramatically different. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any chance of that happening. Do you? What? Yeah. Okay. Do I you? I don't really think either. I don't think that's really possible unless unless things get really bad. Unless you know the the defeat. Uh, or the game against Man City on Thursday ends in another big defeat. And uh, maybe we lose, I don't know. I mean, it's I also dependent on... I think we could lose five on Thursday, and I think Arsene would still be there for the next game. Yeah, I just don't, I don't think the culture of the club is, is such that it would, it would make it possible. Like, I don't think they will feel like they could or should do that to Arsene Wenger. Does that make sense? Like they want the the parting of the ways to be as amicable as it can be between manager and club. And I get that to a certain extent. But if results continue to be bad, what happens is the anger grows. And I think people are right to be angry and frustrated by what they're seeing. And at the moment, all that anger is pretty much directed towards Arsene Wenger. Mm. Because there's a feeling rightly wrongly that he is the man who makes the decision about when he's going to stay, when he's going to go. But ultimately that responsibility is not his. It is the responsibility of the people who run the club. Stan Kroenke is the majority shareholder. He can make whatever decision he likes, whenever he likes, whether we like it or not. That is the reality. And I think if, results continue to be bad and if we continue to lose games there really needs to be a little shift in focus away from Arsene Wenger who I understand completely why people will be mad at him because he can't get his team to win games I get it but it's got to shift towards the board because they are the ones who can make decisions for the benefit of the football club they can do things that can change the dynamic of the football club And if they sit back and allow Arsene Wenger, like they did last season, to take all the slings and arrows while we were waiting to find out what was going to happen with his contract, where was Gazidis? Nowhere. Where was Stan Kroenke? Nowhere. Where was Josh Kroenke? Nowhere. Sir Chips? Nowhere. Wenger was front and centre all day long, every single day, every single press conference. Mm. He was the one that took it. And I'm not saying he's like um, uh, an innocent victim or or doesn't have any responsibility, but 
there are people that are supposed to run the football club and they're the one that can they're the ones that can make decisions and it would be a shame i think it would be an awful shame if arsenal lost the next three games and did poorly in the Europa League and there was no choice but to to sack Arsene Wenger before the end of the season. I think it would be a shame. But if that's what it came to, isn't that what should happen? Yes, it should. It should. So, so are they not abdicating their responsibility if they don't do that or if they continue to stay silent? I think that they... Well, what can they say? What can they come out and say other than you're sacked? Yeah, that's it. That's what they can say. You're sacked. Or, um, you know, due to results, um, you know, maybe they could go another way and say, I don't know if they could do it, but, you know, you could go another way and and make an announcement that this is going to be his final season Mm. and that what happens between now and the summer is is then... um, fenced by that knowledge that whatever happens between now and May, it's it's going to be the end of it. And maybe that will at least provide, A, a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. It might also refocus the players. It might make them go the extra mile for a man that they're not willing to go at this moment in time based on what we're seeing on the pitch, that they're determined to send him off with... Um, you know, a good result or maybe even a trophy. But otherwise, what is the what is the alternative? A mutual parting of the ways. I think you're right. I think that, you know, as I say, somebody at the club needs to take responsibility for the situation. And it was Stan who ultimately ratified Arsene Wenger's new contract last season, uh, you know, over lunch. I mm. think it was on the Monday after the cup final. Uh, and it, uh, there's no way, you know, we hear that Josh Kroenke is over in England at the moment, you know, doing some recon on mm. Arsenal. There's no way that he can be here and not sense that that would not be an appropriate <laughs> thing to do this time around, surely. Oh, look, you know, the, the, this is a modern football club and they they understand fan sentiment. They're not blind to it. They're not immune to it. Mm. They have communications department they look at what's going on they look at the reaction they can see it it's directed at them for goodness sake Mm. every single thing the club uh, posts at this moment in time whether it's on twitter whether it's on instagram whatever it is these are channels of communication now okay you you take into account that there are extremes on the internet right and you can't necessarily judge fan sentiment by the words of some of the lunatics that exist on social media. I'm not saying that's the case, but look at Wembley Stadium yesterday. Look at it. It was empty by the final whistle. It was more or less empty in the Arsenal half, I mean. That tells you a lot. Look at how many people are going to turn up on Thursday against Manchester City. Look at how many people turned up against Ostersunds. And I know it's a... I know it's a, a, a fairly unglamorous game in an unglamorous competition, but it's not the first time that it's happened this season. You know, you made the point on the last, uh, on Friday. Remember when we play, we could have played, I don't know who we played, some minnows in the, in the, uh, the league cup and we'd mm. stick out a team full of kids and we'd sell 10 euro tickets and the, the, the place was full because there was a kind of a hope or a kind of belief in these young players that maybe some of them could become stars. Now nobody cares. Mm. 
Yeah. That's how they judge what's going on. Look at how many tickets. If the game's on general sale, a game against Manchester City is on general sale. I know. I had a question about that. I think if yeah, I think you can buy like four tickets if you remember. They can't. They can't shift the tickets for Thursday against the best team in the country, a star-studded team. Uh, you know the league leaders. It should be full. I can't. I mean, that tells you everything. I think. Mm. But yeah. I, the one thing I would say actually is that for a long time at Arsenal, we've had this problem of Arsene Wenger is unsackable, and I think. It's taken a long time for this board to come to grips with that and to and, and, and I think they the appointments that they have made, but also the regression in Arsene Wenger's reputation and his status among Arsenal fans has shifted that significantly so that I think we are at a point now where I I think Arsene Wenger is sackable. I think it, it's approached the point where the board Mm. Which I never thought would happen could turn to him and say, "We've sorry, we have to intervene and stop this," or certainly, I think it's we think it's best that you leave at the end of this season. Which mm. I I couldn't foresee that previously. This is the first time I think that I find it credible that the club might pull the plug on Arsene or throw in the towel, as, as the analogy you used in your in your blog this morning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all dependent on results. And, you know, when you look at how the team has played this year since the turn of the year to lose to some of the teams we've lost to, whether we're playing our second string or otherwise, it's terrible. It's a terrible record. And and maybe, maybe we can turn it around. To what end exactly, I don't know. We can finish sixth better, but... But do you know what I mean about that? Like, I yeah. feel like I, I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's the board of strength in their power base, if they've strengthened their hand, or if Arsenal's is just crumbling. Well, I, I think what it is is that you can see very clearly that the board are preparing for life, or the club is preparing for life after Arson. Mm. Because twelve months ago, if you were to say, right, that's the end of Arsene Wenger, you're like, okay, but how do we, how do we make the change? We don't have a director of football. Our scouting department is terrible. We don't have the ability to support a head coach as opposed to a manager-manager who comes in and controls every aspect of the club. Now we have those in place. We have those structures so you can see you know, how it would happen much more easily. And maybe that's deliberate. Maybe that's exactly what's going on. Maybe that was the plan when he signed the two-year deal. Give him a year, put everything in place, hope that the final year goes as well as it can, doesn't get too contentious, doesn't get too uh, antsy and everyone goes crazy, but we are where we are. And unfortunately, it is what it is. But then make that change in the summer because we've got the the ability the ability to do it. Mm. Maybe that's no what the plan not was. To do it now. There's but no now, there's, not yeah, absolutely not. He can't, uh, he can't stay next season. It's just not possible for that to happen if we want to change things and progress as a football club. It can't happen. I don't think it should happen. I don't think it's good for the football club. I don't think it's good for Arsene Wenger either. And people talk about him destroying his legacy and maybe, you know, when, when frustration is burning as brightly as it is at the moment, it's hard to look beyond that. But, you know, in time, 
that'll all fade and he will be remembered as a, a great man and a great manager for this football club. But right now, you know, it's you can understand why people are, are cross. Yeah, cross feels so light, doesn't it, in the circumstances, but you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, because I don't want to descend into the, the realms of yeah, I know. some of the stuff where, you know, it, it gets so very personal and, you know, it is just football at the end of the day, you, you know, yeah, but... Well, here's a, here's a question that okay. I thought was a really good one from John A. Ladavia. Ladavia? I've had a go at that, John. Mm. Thanks, John. Um, he says, which current players who are currently struggling do you believe are salvageable by a change in manager? <laughs> um, I'd venture that we just don't know, really. That, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, it's very, very difficult to to figure that one out. You know, because right now, when you look at the squad, you look across it and you think, well, if he went, he went, he went, he went, he went, I wouldn't care. Mm. There's very few of them in there where you think, right, well, we've we've definitely got to keep him. Um, but it's, it's a strange dynamic. The, a player who can look terrible under one manager can thrive under another. But I'm guessing he's talking about people like Xhaka, he's talking about Mustafi, um... Ramsey, maybe. I mean, who who isn't struggling? Yeah, maybe that's a quicker way of... of uh... But genuinely, who isn't? <sighs> Who's playing as well as they can possibly play? I don't think anybody is. Yeah. So individual assessment, as I've said, is it's so hard. Like, I could make a good case for coating off Mustafi and saying, that's pathetic. Get out. We need to buy somebody better. Mm. But unless other things change around these players, a new guy's going to come in and struggle the same way. Defenders have struggled, you know, so many of them have struggled under Arsene Wenger. Um, no, I mean, Andrew Phelan on Facebook, he, he mentioned uh, Shaka and Mustafi specifically and the fact that they'd both been captains at their previous clubs and said if it wasn't they were simply bad players before they joined us how have they in what really is a short space of time fallen into a place where they're so heavily labelled as liabilities because one answer potential answer is that they might be decent players but they might not be the right players like for the team that we have I think both of those players have kind of fundamental issues that make them not particularly suit us well, that would be one yeah I think that's fair I also think that there is a lack of structure perhaps in terms of how we prepare players and how we coach players mm. um Arsene Wenger's belief that a player should go out and express himself on the football pitch is, uh, it just doesn't work anymore. It worked when you had four mercurial geniuses that you could send out and say, Robert, Dennis, Patrick, Thierry, go out and do what you like, you know, free form, improvise it. And we've got the support structures around you because we've got some solid players like Gilberto, we've got Edu, we've got Ray Parler, we've got Saul Campbell, we've got Ashley Cole, we've got Lauren, we've got these guys who can provide you the platform to go and do that. But 
you look at the Arsenal players and and I think modern players need more coaching than we give them. That's absolutely it, in I, my opinion. Yeah, I think they need absolute structure to what it is that they do. And we don't give them that. And we're asking players to be improvisers when they're not. We're asking them to go out and play off the cuff when they can't. I think that, that that's so true. And I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, Arsene Wenger's philosophy has always been express yourself. You know, there has been coaching involved, but it's fundamentally been a trust in the players. But he wasn't alone in that. I was listening to, I think it was Rio Ferdinand maybe the other day, talking about Sir Alex Ferguson. Mm. And for, a, you know, for, for all the titles that Ferguson won, he wasn't that different to Arsene Wenger. Uh, lads at Spurs. I know he had coaches working with him and he changed and refreshed the coaching staff, but he granted that kind of freedom to players. But I do think that the profile and the nature of players has changed. I think that's partly attributed to the academy system that they do need coaching in a more detailed sense. They are used to having instructions foisted upon them Mm. for every scenario. And I think that Arsene Wenger's style of management has grown outdated as the nature of players has changed. Mm. Just, I just don't think players assume responsibility in the same way anymore. It doesn't make them worse players. I think a lot of the time they're technically superior, but there's an emphasis on that uh, and maybe less emphasis on the on the tactical elements of the game, yeah. their education. They need to be told what to do and when to do it in certain circumstances rather it, than yeah. it explains completely why when things go wrong, we have no idea what to do. Because and we Pe- don't Pep's know what to do. Pep's got the most talented players in the league, but he's giving them more instructions than anybody else as well, I imagine. Absolutely. I, I spoke uh, last year, I did a, an event with Robert Perez. And he said in this event, he said that the, the squad, and this is last season's squad, he said, technically, this squad is superior to the ones that he played in. Mm. That's bearing in mind the great players he had alongside him. Bergkamp and Henri and Vieira and everything else. But in general, the technical level of the players was far superior to when he played. But unless you're able to organize those players and their technique and their technical abilities, then you see what happens on the pitch. Mm. And yeah, I think they need to be told what to do. Modern players need more structure. And we don't give it to them. And that's why we look lost at sea as a collective and why individuals, uh, as soon as things start going wrong, slump. It happens with senior players and it happens with young players, right? We see a young player come through. There's a freedom because they're just in the team and then all of a sudden they get weighed down. And we see a new signing come in, he looks good, he looks the part, he looks the part, and then has a bit of struggle and then just can't find his way back. It's the same across the board. Yeah, and Granit Xhaka's a good example. I mean, I think he has had a terrible season, Xhaka, and, you know, he's he's there are big flaws in his game. But I know for a fact, I've heard from a very good source, that when he arrived at Arsenal, <clears throat> he couldn't believe the lack of instruction he received. And when you watch him play you can well believe that that is the case. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, here's here's a question, and we're staying on the managerial trip. Thierry Henry was talking on Sky yesterday. We have two questions about this. Uh, Arsene Wenger, who's, um, okay, he's at better than SAF, which I assume is Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, 
who says, what do you think of Henri as next Arsenal manager, even if he hasn't had any experience at the top level? And James Reef, who's at James Reef, says, does being a bona fide club legend and having your own statue qualify a person to be Arsenal manager? Am I being insufficiently enlightened by feeling appalled by the idea? Uh, I must say, it's not an idea that fills me with huge enthusiasm. Um, and I love Thierry Henry and adored him as a player. Uh, but there's something about dropping him in as manager that I don't know. It feels like it, it. I don't know. He'd have to be surrounded with a hell of a coaching team. That's what I'll say. <laughs> Would you be curious to see how it went? Just because? Yeah, yeah. The, by the, virtue of it being different, yeah, absolutely. We're at the point where anything might be just. And I, I mean, think he's, not... he would be a galvanizing presence. That is for sure. And he would be somebody who I think players would want to come and work with. I mean, look at uh, the impact Zinedine Zidane had at Real Madrid. I must say, and this is quite a sort of a, what am I going to say here? A shallow interpretation of it all. But I'm never particularly impressed by Thierry Henry as a pundit. Yeah, me neither. I know that it's a different skill set, but when he talks about the game as a pundit, I'm never like, wow, you have such an in-depth, appreciation for and understanding of the tactical elements of the game, which with some pundits, um, typically defenders, because they, I think they're forced to think about it more. I, I am. Uh, I know that being a pundit is not the same as being a manager and look how poorly Gary Neville performed at Valencia. But yeah, I, I don't look at Henri and think this man is a, a natural coach, a Guardiola in the making. Yeah. But could he be a figurehead? Maybe. Mm. And and to be honest, the, the I do think that there is a chance that the the Cronkies, who I think have quite uh, substantial links to Omri, I don't think that there's a huge deal of distance between those two parties. I think they would consider it mm. as an option. Yeah, wasn't there a story last year about how Josh Cronkie was... I mean, it was one of those that was leaked to the press uh, where they said uh, Josh Cronkie is fully behind the idea of Thierry Henry being the, the next Arsenal manager. Mm. Um, you look at it and you think, okay, Cronkies are not popular, but if you bring in the club's record goal scorer and a player who uh, was so brilliant for us down the years, very popular figure among fans, you know, you piggyback off the back of that popularity. So I wouldn't rule it out just from that simple fact. And commercially, I mean, it would be huge. Yeah, commercially, but I mean, I'm not sure that, you know, the people who are going to pick the new manager are necessarily the, the, going to be the greatest judge of, of uh, who that should be anyway. So, I mean, you know, I say I'm not enthused about it. Let's say it's the first game of next season at the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal come out on the pitch. Thierry Henry stood on the touchline. Yeah. I'll be there. I'll be buying my ticket. Sure. I mean, look, it would be it would be definitely interesting. I, I'm not convinced that it would be a success for for a number of reasons, like you've touched on. But God damn it, it'd be different. And I think at this point, different is is a big factor in in whatever decisions that we make. Um, I did think as well, just watching that clip of Thierry Henry. He talked about it with a, 
a confidence that belied his inexperience. Like, I, you know, I do wonder if it's something that has been discussed with him at some point or if he has some indication that there might be some interest because a guy who's the assistant manager of Belgium being like, well, maybe, you know, I don't yeah. want to talk about it now. is quite a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying it's happening, but it would be, it, it, you know, it's... It's it's within the realms of possibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out simply because of the the people involved and the people. Also, who are it's not have to easy to name the next manager, is it? It's not easy. It's not like there's candidates jumping out who's like mm. we must appoint this guy. I, you know, I don't think there's any kind of consensus among the media or the fans upon who that might be. No, I mean we hear Ancelotti, and that's about the size of it when it comes to potential candidates for the Arsenal job. We've no idea who, if anybody, they have on a short list. You would like to think that they have some kind of a short list of uh, of managers who could do the job, but we don't know who they are. Um, I saw somebody mention Rafa Benitez uh, recently. Um, so there you go. Wow, that does that's. Uh... But you, you know, if we were talking about a caretaker option, you could do worse as a caretaker, if that's what it came to. But um, I'm not sure he would take the job on in in, in that sense. I mean, uh, Ancelotti is quite an interesting one in that it was Ancelotti who kind of brought Zidane through the coaching ranks at Real Madrid. I think he went from being coach of the Real Madrid B team initially under Ancelotti, and then I think he assisted him directly. So I think, you know... <sighs> while I might have my reservations about someone like Thierry Henry coming straight into the job, if he was prepared to stop learning from the great Roberto Martinez at Belgium and come and, <laughs> you know, do do his uh, do his time with an Ancelotti figure. He does seem like a steady pair of hands at the very least, Ancelotti. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but can, can he work with Ancelotti as an assistant manager? And if Ancelotti gets fired, does he not also get fired along the way? Yeah, that's the You risk. know, the, yeah, so I don't, I don't know what it is. Anyway, here's a, a couple of quick ones before we go. Roger Clark, who's that Roger Clark? who says, are things so bad now that the fan base will actually diminish globally? Is there a possibility that new and old Arsenal fans will turn their back on the club because of the ridicule and ridiculousness of it all? I think you made a point about this in your video last night, Mm. um, that young fans in particular, I mean, look, it's normal. The teams that are successful um, grow their fan base. That's what happens. There's a lot of people who are Arsenal fans because of what we did uh, in the 90s and the early 2000s, because of the team we had, the players we had, the success we had, the way we played football. People liked it and they became Arsenal fans because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or or the the vehemence of their support was certainly, the fervour of it was turned up by Mm. how brilliant we were in that time. And if you were a young kid who didn't have geographical ties to a Premier League team and you're looking at it now, what, why would you pick Arsenal? Mm. <laughs> I mean, it pains me to say it, but why would you? You know, that you they are frequently the kind of class clown of the top six, the, the laughing stock, really. So I don't think that people who support football clubs ditch those clubs. You know, I think if you're no. an Arsenal fan, you're an Arsenal fan. But I do think that a generation growing up now who are making choices for you know a lot of Arsenal fans say to me who don't live in England they're like I became an Arsenal fan because of Thierry Henry or Mm. because of Ian Wright or because of Patrick Vieira or in some cases because of Arsene Wenger because they love the style of the team when the tie's not geographical you look for other values to identify with 
And it's very hard to discern what those values even are about this current Arsenal side. So I don't think that the fan base will diminish, but I think it will fail to grow as it might and other teams will prosper in that respect. Yeah, don't disagree. I mean, that's absolutely inevitable. For In the same way that, you know, kids in Asia or the States or wherever weren't probably supporting Manchester City to any great extent 10 years ago, plenty will be now. Mm, for sure. For sure. Have you got one more? I haven't actually. I'm all questioned out. Okay, I've got I've got one more to finish on us then. off because I think we need something a little bit different to uh, to see us out today. Okay. Um, and this comes from Scotty Baker, who's at Scotty underscore Baker, and he says, "Most mornings I meditate, and for part of this, I focus on things I'm truly grateful for." He says, "Challenge." Give us five things about the Arsenal of today that we should be really grateful for. <laughs> that is a good challenge. It is a good challenge. Sense of community, I think, yeah, is that's, one. That's a big one, isn't it? It is. You're part of something, whether you whether you agree with it. I mean, obviously, uh, people's ability to um, divide themselves into smaller and smaller tribes within a subsection of a thing is always incredible, isn't it? Whether it's football, whether it's sport, whether it's politics, uh, you know, people within one political party break off because, you know, that's just the way it works. But you are part of a community um, of people from all over the world who you can identify with, who you can uh, have something in common with. And I think that's that's something we can be grateful for. Mm, definitely. Even if we don't necessarily always like the way we conduct ourselves as a community. <laughs> well, look, you can pick and choose. You can make your own experience on that, you know? That's true. the thing. You don't that's, have to you don't have to be part of things that you don't want to be part of. Uh I mean, it's inevitable to look backwards, I guess, rather than look at the present, but I guess we're we're grateful for some of the memories that we have. We've got great memories, no? Like wonderful, we've had wonderful experiences Indeed. as Arsenal fans. We certainly have. I mean, it probably is something that will uh, open doors for you in one way or another that um, if you meet another Arsenal fan or maybe it will be a, a benefit to you to be an Arsenal fan somewhere along the way. I don't know. Maybe you get a free kebab somewhere off your local kebab shop because he's a, he's an Arsenal fan. Who knows? That's yeah. another thing. I'll buy someone a beer if they're an Arsenal fan. Yeah. W- within reason. Yeah. Um, what else? That's three, is it? Yeah, that's three. Benefits I'm listing that one as. <laughs> um, just trying to think. I just keep seeing Mustafi appealing to the referee <laughs> in my mind's eye. Uh, Maybe. See, there's the thing that, that somehow, despite all these differences, despite all the debates, we can all kind of get behind the idea that Mustafi appealing for a free kick yesterday was ludicrous. So there is at uh, times uh, a harmony within these oh, different well, groups. Well, Victoria Concordia Crescate, you might say. That's exactly it. Um, and look, um, friendship, is that under the same thing? But this, this ability we have to share our experiences in some ways makes them cathartic, right? That we have these dark days and difficult days, but we know we're not alone. There are other people out there who are feeling the same way. Um, maybe that's a bad thing, is it? That there's loads of people now sitting around going, oh, I'm so fucking miserable. 
No, I mean, I think that is a good thing. I think, you know, a problem shared is a problem not solved, but diminished somewhat. And I think, you know, the list that we have is all tied together by that first point of community. And I think, you know, that is that is the experience of supporting a football team. It is a communal one, really. It is something that you do with other people. It would be nothing in isolation. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I, yeah, yeah you've, you've got to be, you've got to be in it for good times and bad times. That is the reality of being a football fan or a sports fan that you're going to have ups and downs. And we have had and been lucky to have some incredible ups over the years as Arsenal fans. We've had some brilliant moments, some brilliant experiences, some great journeys, some uh, fine trips away in Europe. We've won things. We've done something that no other club has done, and that's go a season unbeaten. And that's always something that we can uh, enjoy and cherish and share. Um, You know, you've got then at the same time to be aware that the good times are never quite as good unless you've had some bad times along the way. Well, the next set of good times should be bloody brilliant. Yeah, yeah. On that basis. <laughs> no, I think that you're right. And, you know, it's easy to say, well, what if you supported Stoke? I mean, God, that's a horrible thought. But, you know, what if you supported a, a lower team who, who never challenged? And, you know, shouldn't you be grateful for, you know, what we have achieved in the past? Mm-hmm. And, yes, there is an argument for that. But I also think that... <sighs> That, that that support that sport is about ambition and striving to be the best, and I think the frustration with Arsenal is that it feels like we're not really striving to be the best. That we're not doing the things, we're not making the best of what we've got. Yeah, but you're good. This, we're talking about things we should be grateful for. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I remember we're trying to you know send people off so they're not feeling too miserable. I mean, maybe one thing that we should be looking forward to in some way is that because of the way things are at this moment in time and because it really feels like we are heading towards an end game, mm. that there's something new coming. There is something new coming soon, maybe not as soon as people might like, but it's definitely coming. And I'm so excited for that, honestly, I really am. I, I really feel like it's going to completely reinvigorate the club, the fan base. I think it'll be fantastic. I think Arsenal could explode out of that. I really, really do. I'm really optimistic about that. Mm. Well, I keep fingers crossed for that, obviously. Um, and I'm uh, I'm grateful that it, you know, it was a two-year deal, not a three-year deal. <laughs> I'm grateful for that. And I'm also grateful for the fact that there are thousands of people across the world who listen to this podcast who somehow still think that you hurting yourself is in some way good for Arsenal Football Club. Um, yeah, well, I'm sure all those people are grateful for me continually hurting myself. Yes, <laughs> you know, and they, they might question your commitment as to how badly you've hurt yourself in recent times, but, I, you know, that's not for me to say. Believe me, guys, even if you don't hear about it on the podcast, I'm hurting myself. Don't worry, it's happening. I'm doing my best. (laughs) All right. Well, look, we've got a game against Manchester City on Thursday. We'll talk about that in the Arsecast on Friday. Uh, In the meantime, um, thank you as ever for listening. We really do appreciate it. Hope it's been uh, not too miserable an experience listening to this particular podcast. But as I said at the start, we can only work with what we're given. Um, thanks again remember up the arse you're an Arsenal fan it could be an awful lot worse we've all got each other uh, for better for worse sickness and in health Um, maybe we don't want some of each other 
but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, amen yeah. to that. Amen, amen to, to all that. that. Yeah, and just you know, but, uh, hang out with your Arsenal friends and and uh, do all that stuff. I must say, I, I did see yesterday amidst all the gloom some photos of friends of mine and strangers really at watching the cup final, be that at Wembley or, you know, gathered around the world in different locations. And irrespective of the result, there's something very positive and lovely about that. So that, you know, that is the, the nice takeaway, right? It is. It is. All right. We'll, um, we'll wait for the next game uh, for it to get even worse or maybe better. Mm. Who knows? Who've we got in the next game? Should be easy. Uh... Is a nice, easy home game? <laughs> some small team at home. I don't know who they are. Um, I think we'll probably hammer them 4-5-0. Sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. All right. Well, look, we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks as ever, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.